OWS fam, Sharp Football Analysis Nation. Welcome back. If you're new here, we do this every week. Searching for ceiling with Rich Rebar and myself, Hilo, every week at 12 p.m. Eastern. But for those returning, thank you so much for watching. We are through the midpoint in the NFL season. Holy smokes. Well, we will be after this week. We are at the midpoint of the season, week nine, NFL. And as we've noticed, as we've progressed through these shows, scoring is down around the league, man. And we are, that is, I guess that is ever present in the week nine slate. So with that, I'll be joined shortly by Rich. But welcome for those new and for those returning. Thank you so much for tuning back in. This is Searching for Ceiling, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. One Week Season. And the man, the myth, the gosh darn legend, Mr. Rich Rebar. Week 9, Rich. Goodness gracious. Can you even imagine us being here? Yeah, it, you know this is always the the fun part though. This is like when the like the the, the true grinders like start to kick it up because everyone's excited yeah. about the NFL season. But you get to this point, right? The NBA just started. It's starting to get cold. Holidays are coming. It's November, <laughs> and the the people had bad season long years. They start to check out, right? But yeah. you kind of talked about something before we got on. Like this is the point of the year though. Like we're not in like the trend building set, set anymore. Like we're, we're able to make some of these assertions about teams. We're able to find these spots. These like the home stretch of the NFL season has typically always been my most profitable stretch. Uh, yeah. the, the December area uh, because uh, we we have these these uh, areas that we can we can highlight and pinpoint and attack. Not just over these three games they've done this or three of these six games or you know we're, we're starting to build up to work. We know what we have from a season long stance in all these spots. With that, the biggest trend that we've seen this year, at least from a DFS perspective. Um, is the kind of insane hit rate of chalk at the running back position. We've talked a lot about this at uh, over at one week season from a theoretical perspective. What do you make of the 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 high hit rate of kind of ownership at the running back position so far this year? Are you kind of still trying to go against it or are you kind of just accepting it moving forward? I think it's uh, it's, it's definitely a nuanced take, but I definitely feel that so from a big picture from an NFL landscape, uh, you know, I wrote about this in the offseason about like NFL trends and how like, you know, the, the lead back was dying. And like when we get mm-hmm. these spots in fantasy football, like they're easier to diagnose for people because they are not abundant anymore. So that's I think that that's why they hit at a higher rate than like, you know, we say the chalk because there are these guys getting workloads that are different than the rest of the field and they're easier to highlight. So it's not just like yeah. chalk hitting. It's it's not necessarily like the, it's a it's like chalk hitting. It's just that we have a finite number of these resources available to us on a weekly basis, uh, and they're easier to highlight for people. From a theoretical perspective, and this is something that we brought up at one week season, like from week one on, but I'm going to bring it out there uh, to the unpaid clientele here for the first time. From a theoretical perspective, there's this idea in the umbrella of game theory of Nash equilibrium. And this is a state or a point of a game where no one player can generate an appreciable edge over another by deviating from optimal strategy. In, in, in speaking about how that pertains to ownership at running back, we know that running back is the most projectable position in fantasy football. Why is that? Because scoring is most heavily correlated to volume 
um, and game environment, which are a couple of the things that are a little bit more predictable or projectable. Also, when you look at projection systems, we know that these systems are utilizing median projections. And what does median projection mean? It means that by definition, 50% of the time, the actual outcome will land below the projection and 50% of the time it will land above the projection. What's important about that understanding is that can be backtested and that can be improved and the algorithms can be tweaked to improve that accuracy, which now, you know, projection systems and optimizers have been around for four or five years where we're starting to get the sample size to be able to fine tune those projection systems. That's important because when you lump that into this idea or this, this frame of mind of Nash equilibrium, we cannot gain as much of an edge by looking to generate leverage at the running back position. Now, that does not mean that we're simply looking to ownership to find the best players. We're like, yeah, that guy's going to be highly owned. Let's go play him. No, it just means that we should not be shying away from ownership as much at the running back position if we assume that we are in this state of equilibrium as far as projections and the field's ability to identify top plays of position. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just ask everyone that's played Josh Jacobs every week. No, it's like, no, just, just kidding aside. But no, that's that's exactly like the exactly like highlight in a roundaway, uh, a roundabout way, kind of like what I laid out, but in a way more new, uh, articulate fashion, uh, I should say. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I threw this up earlier, but yes, Big Dan, good morning, good morning as well. Question popped after that diatribe of mine. Are all these sim systems coming out the new game theory edge? Wait, what? I don't understand that. Are are all these sim systems coming out the new game theory edge? Like are the actual systems the new way to get an edge on game theory? Is that what he's asking? I, I honestly don't understand. Dan, if you could uh, <laughs> rephrase, um, I'll come back to that question. Uh like are using the new sim system systems? I don't want to speak for them. Maybe I said yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Rephrase that, and we'll come back to that. It's the day. internet. Um, get lost in translation. Uh, yeah, quickly. yeah. It's, it's like it's like that uh, that Key and Peele sketch of the they're trying to um, invite another dude over over text, and his responses are just like one liner, and he's like, "What the?" <laughs> he's like hard to translate over text. Whatever. Go. But on. what I do think is interesting about the running back position in general, and you know, I wrote about this in the offseason too, is just like how consistently trending down the usage of the running back position is yeah uh, and, and especially in the passing game and you would think that would be counterintuitive with uh you know obviously everyone's in, in indoctrinated to understand like too high coverage and how prevalent is in the nfl and zone coverage you would think that would lead to more usage for running backs in the passing game and it's actually gone the opposite way and it's still and it's trending down to go down again this year uh running backs are trending to have their lowest uh target rate in a season since 2012 it's gone down from the season prior in five consecutive seasons, this would be the sixth. Uh, just, yeah, and then you combine that with the fact that we've got more mo more QBs that are mobile uh, that are getting used in uh, the, the green area, the money zone, the gold area, whatever yeah. people call it, inside the five. Um, we've, had this we've had this reduction of, like, running backs that check all the requisite boxes we're looking for, you know, on a weekly basis. Uh, a lot of things are getting compartmentalized uh, with committees. We got a lot of those right now. I mean, geez, man, you look at this week, like, you know, like the Bears might be having a three-way committee. The, the Browns might be using three running backs. Like, there's all these spots this week. Yeah. So we just don't have – we just say we just have, like, a finite number of these resources that are these guys that we, we – 
can signal like, yes, if the game goes this way, they're doing this. If they're in this situation, they're doing this. Uh, there are very few uh, this season. Yeah, two quick sidebars on that discussion. What the hell is going on with the Cleveland Browns backfield? I mean, Jerome Ford, we assumed he was had very minimal utilization. I think he had one touch in the first half last week uh, because his ankle injury. And then he comes to be the lead back in the second half, and we're all just like, okay, you got us. You, Trixie, you. And then all three of Pierre Strong, Jerome Ford, and Kareem Hunt see 10-plus running back opportunities. So that's a madhouse. They're all in the 33% snap rate range, opportunity share range right now. I don't know if that changes moving forward. It seems to me like Jerome Ford has very clearly earned the lead back role. And that's important because of the matchup this week. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit here shortly. Um, the second sidebar in that discussion is how running backs are scoring their points. And what does it mean now in today's NFL landscape for a running back to be GPP viable? I mean, we're used to having the backs that are seeing 10, 12 targets. Alvin Kamara kind of has done it a couple times this year. Um, but we're not we're not in that landscape of today's NFL game anymore. So when you're talking about who, what do we need from a running back in order to return a GPP viable score, obviously there's exceptions like Gus Edwards scoring three touchdowns, um, like Dante Foreman scoring three touchdowns a couple weeks ago. But the general... I pick the of, guy that scores three touchdowns. Yeah, that's all you have to do, dude. Uh, the general blueprint of what we need for GPP ceiling is we need 100 yards on the ground to achieve that DraftKings bonus, and we need multiple scores. Now, the, the level of pass game involvement for running backs around the league now is not so much we can get there on pass volume alone. Again, Alvin Kamara's done it twice this year. Um, it's more so that we can find backs that have enough pass game involvement to remove the need for one of those touchdowns still likely to require 100 yards on the ground with one touchdown. Now you're just looking for something like a 30, uh, a three catch for 30 yard kind of production on the ground or through the air that removes the need for just one of those touchdowns. But if we shift the mindset and realize what the NFL game is doing, it'll help us kind of identify the types of running backs that we need to be targeting that can theoretically and realistically approach that kind of type of production and threshold. Um, with that discussion out of the way, so Dan's question is more so uh, with regards to the Sims. So the Sims that are able to run a thousand and infinite number of iterations for a given slate. Do we need these Sims to have an edge on the field? My answer is not yet. Um, with something so new like that, it's going to take time to figure out how to accurately implement that into our DFS play. While the game is going to a heavier emphasis, I want to be very careful how I how I phrase this. Mm -hmm. The game is going to a higher emphasis on analytics. The NFL game is, the DFS game has been for six, seven years. That does not mean that we are at equilibrium for every position. There's higher variance positions like wide receiver, tight end, Obviously, defense is the highest variance position in the game. So we need to have, and I think moving forward, this is true across the board for all DFS games, but we need to have a solid understanding of theoretical concepts and principles to pair with the improving projection systems, these sims, um, these, these simulators that are able to run infinite iterations. And why I say that is... I compare DFS's trajectory to the game of poker. 
I think that's the easiest thing to visualize. For 20, 30 years, the game of poker, and we'll say specifically Texas Hold'em, was a feel game, was a read game, was a I'm going to look you in the eye and, and do the right thing. Then, seven, eight years ago, we had the introduction of solvers, of pile solver, of um, these um, game theory optimal systems that were able to do exactly what now these new sims in DFS are doing, which is run infinite simulations in varying spots with specific governing constraints. And those constraints are the assumptions or the knowns that are fed into the system. So with that, now game theory optimal in poker kind of became the, the optimal governing strategy, which was we are studying in the Sims and we kind of know how to react at a given frequency based on known action beforehand. Now compare that to DFS where we're looking at tighter ranges of raw projections. We don't have inputs yet like field tendencies or observations. And that's where I say, yeah, that's kind of where the game is going, but we're not there. We're in year one of game theory optimal in poker, which seven, eight years ago when the introduction of all these solvers and, and game theory optimal training systems happened, the field kind of made this, um, the field being poker players kind of made this shift to game theory optimal as the governing strategy. We're in year one of that. If you want to compare apples to apples, meaning that we need to still have this theoretical and conceptual base from which to incorporate all that stuff. It can't just be, oh yeah, I'm going to pay some money to this, this Sims or this projection systems because they're the best and I'll print money. No, there's things like variance. There's things like all these different aspects of DFS play that we still need to have that foundational knowledge from which to now start folding in that stuff. It's not an end all be all. So we're very, very far still probably eight to 10 years, which is talking because we have a very small, when we look at the, I'm like rambling now, but I want to make sure that I answer this as best as I can. When we look at NFL DFS, we have 18 now main slates. That is a very, very small sample size. We compare that to like NBA and um, MLB. They have almost infinitely more sample size and iterations from which to build those and backtest those projections. So the NFL projections and, and Sims and all those things are going to take a lot longer to even out and approach equilibrium. So to answer, hopefully that answered your question. Um, that was a kind of roundabout way to do so, but I wanted to get like the, the back, uh, the theoretical backing in there as well. Rich, I spoke for a long time. Uh, <laughs> what say you about this discussion? Yeah, I mean, the problem with it is, is that the, I think it's just the, the utilization right now, right? Is yeah, or just switch either. to a different game. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the user, the user uh, experience, you know, where people are using these sims in a way. It's the same thing with optimizers, right? Like people, you know, correctly how to use optimizers. Uh, you know, yeah. just just spitting out the, you know, playing the playing the lineups at a base level without the proper um, the the inputs that you want or restrictions for lineup building. You know, and it's that, that's why people have struggled with just like, hey, I'm going to get a sub here and then just play this lineup. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't work out for them. And they're like, well, what the hell? <laughs> so, I mean, there, there still is like a level of user experience to that has to be added. But I mean, it's it's I, I would agree. I would say that we are still probably a ways off. Um, the problem is, like I said, that you're seeing the it, it impact the way people are, are playing lineups regularly. The automation, mm -hmm. like the automation of it all. Right. 
Uh, and that happened to NBA at a certain point where NBA was just like literally the game became 2v2, right? Like you're, and that's why cash games died. And that's kind of happened to the NFL a little bit from a cash game perspective. Yeah. Um, I know some people have moved away from cash entirely uh, in NFL in recent years. Uh, and I know DraftKings in particular, people have left like long staples. I still think FanDuel cash is really, really strong spot to play. And that's why I bring up, I'm like one of the few people that actually talk about like FanDuel on stuff. I know everything's like a DraftKings world, but yeah. I still think that's better. I think their pricing's tighter, especially this year. I mean, DraftKings, I don't know what's going on with what's going on with their pricing this year, but yeah, it's locked, it, it, right? it, there's another, but there's, it's so many layers that go into it, right? It's not just the the sim it's the utilization of the sim and then what we're seeing across the industry so there's like all these things that kind of play into it yes uh val there's a lot of good discussions going on in the chat i'm going to continue to highlight the uh the good talking points here but yes um we need the foundational base of conceptual knowledge and theoretical knowledge um to play with the analytical stuff uh, it can't be one or the other um and yeah, we'll just leave it at that. That was a long, I mean, we spent 15 minutes talking about the theory stuff. Let's talk about some week nine stuff now. Um, you know the drill, those who, who have been with us for a while. The goal here is to search for hidden upside or hidden potential or spots that are largely going overlooked or could be going overlooked by the field. So we know just looking at, and I'll bring it up on the screen now, we know just looking at this slate that it... Oh, <laughs> Oh, no, okay, this is juicy. There's a lot of sub 40 point game totals. And this is kind of the state of the league. And we need to tailor our DFS play um, quicker than the field can to what the league is giving us. So Arizona Cardinals, Cleveland Browns, 37 and a half game total. We alluded to some stuff with this spot that we might get to if we have time at the end, as far as the, uh, the Browns backfield, we got the Vikings and the Falcons, 37 game total Buccaneers, Texans, 40 points, Rams, Packers, 38 and a half bears, saints, 41 commanders, Patriots, 41. There's some stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about this game uh, for sure. The Seahawks and the Ravens, 44 Colts and Panthers, 44 Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles, the game of the week. Everyone's going to be on this one, 47.0. And then finally, the, oh my God, what's going on with these teams, the Giants and the Raiders at 37 and a half. So when we look at this slate from a top level perspective, we're kind of hit in the face with this. What do we do with this? Mm. I'm just going to put all my money in the, in the Eagles and the Cowboys and just hope it works out for the best. Nay, I say nay. You can't do a couple it. of. There are a couple of games. Well, you can. I've well, been playing around with a way that you can you can overstack that game and and do it profitably from a plus EV perspective. We'll I'll cover that in a little bit. Um, we'll go over that when we start getting into the DraftKings lobby on the screen. But when we're looking at these games, there's a couple that stood out to me, Rich, that are games that could provide some environments for some production to be had. The two that I immediately jumped out to me are the Commanders and the Patriots um, for some very specific reasons that we'll cover here shortly. Uh, and then the Colts and the Panthers. Were there any outside of those two games that you are immediately like, oh, yeah, there could be something here? Well, I mean, Colts every week we circle. In the era of unders, like the yeah. Colts are the one team we kind of look at every week. They play fast. They have a high variance quarterback. They play passive defense. Uh, we all, we've, we've been looking for them the entire season. That one stands out. Uh, I'll be curious. I, I like some of the pieces in Commanders Patriots. I'm curious about the whole top-down game environment. 
Uh, Bucks, Texans could be kind of have some interesting elements as well. Giants, Raiders yeah. at least offers a lot of correlated mini stacks that I think uh, offer some upside. And then we've got from a two competent team perspective, we really only have these kind of two games. One, like you said, Eagles, Cowboys can be really popular. Not only is it uh, one of the highest totals on the slate with actual stars, it's a 4 p.m. game or afternoon game, the late slate yeah. game. So like that's always going to draw attention because it's going to – uh, be backloaded. A lot of people are going to have their money tied into there because then it gives you freedom to do late swap stuff. Uh, and then we've got the uh, Seahawks Ravens, right? Like when you're talking about like competent teams, like playoff caliber teams with competent offenses. That's not that the gross games can't get there. It's just like we're going to be looking at like, all right, we've got two teams that are competent facing each other. There's an element here to where this can succeed this game. Okay. I, I dig that. And I, I got nothing else to add to those games that you highlighted as well. Let's start real back up QBs everywhere. Oh my Lord. Right. Yeah. We've got a lot of moving pieces too. the, uh, the trade deadline just passed, which really affects one team the most. And it's one of the teams that I highlighted in the Washington commanders. They dealt away their two pass rushers, and this is already a defense that has been exposed on the back end. Uh, so there could be some stuff there to talk about, but let's, uh, let's start the discussion by looking at the game of the week and see if there's any ways to kind of attack this spot in ways that the field is unlikely to do. So I'll throw it over to you um, first. And I want to talk about, is this just a case of like CeeDee Lamb and A.J. Brown and the quarterbacks? Or are there any other spots that you're kind of looking to for some potential upside here? No, there's a lot of uh, areas here that I think provide intrigue. Obviously, I think the biggest question mark of this game is how healthy is Jalen Hurts before the bye? Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a report that uh, after last Sunday's game, he required an hour long treatment to, to, to just recover of being able to leave the stadium uh, yeah, of the game. That's what you want. <laughs> uh, he only scrambled one time in that game. And after he got injured the week prior against the Dolphins, he had a season low 21 rushing yards. Uh, and it, you can get by, you can get back on a, on a drop back passing game, which I'm sure you'll lead into when we talk about the commanders against the commanders and, and yeah. Doing that against the Cowboys, I think, is a lot taller task. So it's, if if this is a problem for Jalen Hurts, if we have to just rely on Jalen Hurts as the drop-back passer, uh, where we need him to drop back and throw, hit that 300-yard bonus, uh, be able to throw multiple touchdowns, it's probably in the lower probable outcomes he's able to do all those things against this Cowboys defense. Now, we did see Brock Purdy have success a couple weeks ago. It's not that it's impossible. But, I mean, Jalen Hurts has faced one comparable defense over the course of the season, and it was the New York Jets against Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, both out of that game. He had a season-low 9.2 passing points in that game, but 11 rushing points is what propelled him to get there for fantasy football. If that's removed from the equation, it severely dings a lot of, you know, kind of stacking opportunities here. Does it push people to the Cowboys? Uh, does it just push people to, like, Dak? And then you just get your piece from A.J. Brown, those types of things. And we can talk about some of the usage stuff that like CD Lamb has going for him here too. But I think if you're looking at it yeah. from like the Eagle side, the player that stands out the most for me on this slate uh, is Dallas Goddard. Uh, leads leads all tight ends and yards per or, or routes run on the year. Uh, the one thing that's killing Goddard this year from a fantasy perspective is his depth of target has been significantly reduced, almost yeah. like the TJ Hawkinson uh, type levels. But if we're going to get more of a drop back passing game from the Eagles and less rushing, I mean, obviously that creates more value from him. Uh, you get a Dallas team that the one kind of flaw that they have kind of defensively uh, is that they they have been giving up a lot of efficiency to tight ends so far this season. 30th and touchdown rate allowed, 19th and catch rate allowed, 20th yards per target. Creates an opportunity for him to not only see more 
target volume, but gives you kind of more of a uh, another stacking partner for this game that probably is a guy that has been a hard click for a lot of people this season. Yeah, that's a good shout. The other consideration here is the heavy man coverage rates that the Dallas Cowboys utilize. And we know that AJ Brown has absolutely been elite dominant bonkers against man coverage this season. This is a slightly different man coverage look than I think he's seen up to this point. So can he continue this towards stretch? I mean, six games setting history, six games in a row of 125 yards receiving or more. Is this a spot where you're continuing to buy A.J. Brown um, because of his splits against man coverage this season? Or is this a spot where it's like, hey, his price has come up to a point where this is pretty difficult, tall order here? Well, I mean, it would be a great spot to say, like, yes, this is the cow. This is the Cowboys defense that hasn't given up, uh, you know, a ceiling game to a wide receiver yet. But the context of the slate, too, you know, no Tyree Kill on this slate. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, you know, Cooper Cup might be playing with Brett Ripien. He's also coming off two down games. Like, Ooh, no. where where are we going at the top of the position? Right? You know, obviously we have his counter counterpart in this game cd lamb but where else is this wide receiver money getting allocated to so he stands yeah. out he, he did run 21 routes uh, against man coverage against the cowboys a year ago and on those routes he averaged 5.9 yards per route run caught seven of nine targets 124 yards and a touchdown when dallas did run man coverage i did pull up they ran fewer man coverage against the eagles than yeah. they did against other opponents last year. I'm now they only faced Jalen Hurts one time because yeah, yeah. the other thing with this matchup is Dak missed one of the games last year and then Hurts missed the other game. The, the yeah. Minshew Dak game was a shootout. That was, I think, around Thanksgiving time. I can't remember. It was around there though, but that game had 74 total points, was absolutely cooking. But Dallas at that point in the season had lost like two, two cornerbacks. Avante Maddox was gone at that point. And that's when we were just flooding slot receivers against the uh, Eagles and CeeDee Lamb went absolutely bonkers that game. That game was uh, had a lot of moving parts. So I don't think we can really use a lot of elements of that game and time into this game. But I did notice that Dan Quinn did run less man coverage uh, against the Eagles. And that would make sense because Jalen Hurts, you're, you're going to play a lot of man yeah. coverage. At least. But but if he believes Hurts is hurt, hurt. does he, does he <laughs> yeah. play more man coverage because he's not worried about the mobility factor? Like does that, yeah. especially in game, right? Like that's an in-game adjustment. If we're a quarter into the game and Dan Quinn has noticed that Jalen, hey, he's not running, he can't run, does that make them more aggressive? I think so. And I think uh, obviously that takes a lot of speculation and conjecture. Um, but from a like from a clearest clearest like coaching tendencies and the assumption of rational coaching that makes the most sense to me obviously we're not sitting up in the box or down on the field Quinn is a boxer so he sits up in the box um we're not there we're not the one reacting to what is being shown um but from it from an assumption of rational coaching standpoint that does make the most sense to me um, it makes sense. It, it explains the fact that their man coverage rate dipped when these teams played last season with Jalen Hurts. Um, and it could be that he is not as mobile, as you pointed out earlier, with these injuries over the previous two weeks, um, where he is more of this pocket passer type quarterback. Now, when thinking about like how to attack this spot, and this what I have on the screen was what I was alluding to um, as a spot where I think you can play this game with significant upside in a way that the field is highly unlikely to because, because Jalen Hurts has such a significant red zone rushing role because a lot of his floor is induced via the run game. If he's not contributing to that, 
but he is still ending up as like the optimal quarterback on the slate because the quarterback situation is so bizarre on the slate. He's going to need to do so with passing. And this could be one of those times, and we don't have a lot of them, where we can double stack Jalen Hurts um, because he's going to need to get there through the air, similar to how he did last week. We saw last week Dallas Goddard um, returned a viable score. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, but the, the week before where he found the end zone, I mean, now we're talking about a usable fantasy score. Um, and if A.J. Brown is able to continue to beat man coverage at the rate that he has, his his yards per route run rate against man coverage this year is approaching six, which you brought up last season against uh, in this matchup against Cowboys man coverage. Um, he was around the same. So th- this is a production. He has 50 percent of the team targets when the opposition is in man coverage. I mean, he leads the NFL. In- yeah, he leads the NFL and catches targets and yards uh, against man coverage. Yes. So this is not a spot where I necessarily think that we are shying away from. And this is an interesting way because it it allocates so much salary to the spot. Um, But you can dance away around this a little bit. I mean, we've got some clear value on this slate that has opened up running back value and guys like Demario Douglas in a game that I want to talk about here shortly. Um, That there, there is projectable median projectable value on this slate which we haven't had necessarily over the previous two or three uh, weeks. Um, So that obviously goes into our theoretical discussions of the slate itself. But I think this is a very interesting starting point for a roster this week um, where the upside is very clearly there and you're getting exposure to the far and away top expected game environment in a way that I don't think the field is going to be doing. Uh, Any, oh, by the way, gotchas on this (laughs) game environment. No, I mean, I would say, I mean, if you do, if you go down the rabbit hole, like, I mean, the, where the Eagles have just really struggled, I mean, you could maybe talk yourself into like a Michael Gallup a little bit. I would say the other tight end, Jake Ferguson's also in play. This is a game where both tight ends are definitely in plays in your doubles, uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, I mean, the, Jake Ferguson's route participation has gone up from the week prior in, in five straight games. We, he's a major equity, like touchdown equity in this offense. I mean, yeah. second second among all tight ends in targets per route run in the red zone. So there are some opportunities there. And the Eagles, you know, for having all these good individual pieces in the back end, like we talk about man and zone splits all the time. But you have to remember in the NFL, like we're in a, a very zone meta. And when you play yeah. a lot of zone, we when we say teams are man heavy, we're literally talking basically like a third of passing snaps. 30%, which, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, even like the Browns are like around 40%, like number one in the league. But you think about the number of dropbacks in a game, that's literally – on the, like a, a wide, a high end projection, like you're talking like 15 passing plays in a game, right? Like yeah. they're going to be in this man coverage setting, typically with a blitz when teams do decide to blitz now. But with the Eagles having so many moving parts defensively, they played, I believe, 17 different defensive backs now on the season. And when you're playing so much zone coverage, that's where you see the breakdowns, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Defensively, like it's where you see like Jahan Dotson completely naked for a touching. You're like, how does that happen? Because they have, they constantly have had new pieces every week in the back end uh, and they haven't been able to cohesively play together. And that's how you see all these busted coverages in the Eagles. And you say, well, man, they got Kevin Byard. Now they've got James Bradbury, they got Darius Slate. How are they giving up all these productions, the wide receivers? And that's, that's how that's, that's the reason it's happening. Yeah. Continuity is big, especially for zone coverage. When you talk about the level of communication and the feel that goes into those types of defenses, for sure. That's a good shout. Um, 
Let's now go to one of the games that you mentioned uh, with the Buccaneers and the Texans. And I'll throw it directly over to you and then I'll kind of throw in what I'm seeing from the spot. Yeah. So, I mean, Bobby Slug, uh, he's betraying us right now. Right? Damn it, dude. <laughs> um, our guy, man, you know, you know, we're excited to hire a guy from PFF. He's like one of Twitter's own, right? We're like, man, they're yeah. getting one of our guys a job. Um, and, you know, it may be a product byproduct of what's just gone on with the offensive line injuries that the yeah. Texans have had. It's tough to say. He might be trying to find his way. I don't know how much of it is just like a, a philosophical thing. But, I mean, man, they are really killing us in all these first down runs. I mean, they now have the lowest drop back rate on early downs in the NFL. And they obviously that is paired with one of the worst running games. It was different yeah. like when the Titans were like, man, we know the Titans are going to do on first down. Well, yeah, King Henry's still rushing for five yards on first down carries. Everyone knows he's getting the ball. Like the Texans are running the football. They're, they have the least efficiency. Uh, you know, they're 31st in the league in efficiency on these first down runs. And they continue to, to run. Um, at the early, at the heaviest rate in the league on these early downs, as a byproduct, C.J. Stroud has the lowest pass attempt rate on first downs. He has the highest pass rate attempt on third passes that come on third downs. He leads the NFL in uh, pass attempts that require third and long situations. So they're not even nurturing this rookie quarterback, right? So like when you put all these yeah. things together, it just puts more into context of how good C.J. Stroud has been. Uh, when you factor in the offensive line, you factor in the coaching staff not doing any favors, you factor in that he's had multiple receivers missing time at different uh, points of the season. Uh, but man, if if all this were to come together, this is a spot, right? If they, if you say Damian Pierce is injured, he's not going to play in this game. We have to move on to Devin Singletary. Does that make them have to throw more? To make does yeah. it make them just to push them to be a little more aggressive on early downs? Because this would be the spot for it. The Buccaneers, since their bye, have been absolutely rough against the pass i mean jared goff eight and a half yards or past him desmond ritter threw for 10 yards or past him they struggled yeah. last thursday against josh allen they blitz at the sixth highest rate in the league uh against the blitz i mean cj stroud has been he's number three in quarterback rating against the blitz behind Tua Tagovailoa and justin herbert he's been incredible against the blitz he leads the nfl in yards for pass attempt against the blitz uh, would be a great spot to go back to him. I know some people were on him last week. I've had some 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 single entry stuff with with Stroud, and he, it didn't get there. But I think it's a great week to kind of go back to it with all things aligned, especially if the field. And I don't know how chalky De Devin Singletary will end up being, given the context of how the Houston backfields already operated to this point in the season. Uh, yeah. But if Devin Singletary is going to be popular, I want to use that as a inversely say like I want to get driven more to this passing game. You mentioned Stroud's performance against the Blitz. When you combine that with the fact that he is PFF's 11th rated passer when kept clean and 33rd rated passer when under pressure with the fact that the Buccaneers blitz at an above average rate but are fourth worst in pressure rate behind that blitz rate, this sets up for a very, very interesting spot for CJ Stroud. I highlighted the the peer the stroud doubles here on the screen 100 i think that is fully in play um what is interesting about the buccaneers defense is they have the high blitz rates they have the low pressure rates and they're about league average in man and coverage behind that so when we're looking at like what is going on with cj stroud's pass catchers it's like nico collins and tank dell are elite against man coverage this year. And they're going to see about a league average rate of man coverage in this spot. 
if things play out as we expect. When you look at their production versus zone, uh, Nico Collins is 18th in fantasy points per route run in against zone coverage. And Nico Collins is somewhere like 25th, I believe. I'd have to double check that number. Don't quote me, but I think it's around 25th in the league. So these guys are still performing against zone. They're just not like they're both in the top 10 in fantasy points per route run against man coverage. So, but this is a spot where based on the pass funnel na nature of the matchup and the other side too, Houston is performing against the run this year. Tampa Bay has not been able to run the football this year. So both matchups kind of both sides of this spot kind of tilt the opposition towards the air. So that's a very, very interesting potential upside here. And I think we can only hope <laughs> that that Damian Pierce being out will awaken Bobby Slowick from the depths of hell here that we have seen over the last month of play because he started the first month of the, of the season. We were like, yeah, we did it. We got another head, uh, another offensive play caller who's going to like lean into exploiting too high. And then it's like over the last month of the season. So I don't know. All that kind of comes into this is a, a probably high variance spot, but this does carry significant upside here. The other side of the game with a Buccaneers offense against the heavy zone rates um, of the Houston Texans. Anything there from a potential game stack bringbacks uh, perspective? Yeah, Houston's been tough because they've been so good against the run, but they're not giving up any production to wide receivers at all. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of like one of the interesting components here. I mean, two two touchdowns to wide receivers so far. Uh, we do know that this, it's a tight target tree, though. So if you do want to take a, a shot on Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, it's kind of oscillated back to Godwin. The bummer is, is we've got kind of a situation going on that we used to have with like the old Seahawks guys where like it's one or the other and not both. Uh, yeah. Both guys caught a touchdown last Thursday, but Mike Evans, you know, got there on the late touchdown. He was completely out targeted by Godwin basically the entire game. He had a 40 yarder call back, but they cheated on the play. So uh, this one of those things. Yep. Yep. I mean, you always hear that where people are like, this play happened, but it's like, yeah, they cheated for the play to execute. Like if, Baker, <laughs> if the guy doesn't hold, Baker Mitchell doesn't step up through that hole that he's sacked and the that play doesn't exist. But uh, yeah. definitely, I think the guy you would look for as a natural inherent run back in this spot, especially on DraftKings, would be. Rashad White. So you can't play Rashad White on FanDuel at all because you're not going to get any rushing. And we just talked about the Texans aren't going to give you up any rushing. But his target share has gone through the roof the past two weeks. And Matt yeah. Canales and Baker Mayfield came out and talked about this. That they're that they've kind of found out they aren't they aren't a good running team. Like they're openly oh, upset, surprised. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're not a good running team. So they're trying so the way to circumvent running the football is they're doing a lot more short passing, they're doing a lot more screen work, and that's helped Rashad White. He has, you know, 13 catches for 135 yards the past two weeks now. Uh, so that you can't play him, uh, like I said, on FanDuel at all. But DraftKings is where you can play him and get kind of that spot because the Texans, fourth in the NFL, yards per carry allowed to running backs. They're 25th in receiving points in PPR leagues allowed per game to running backs. So that to me would be like more of the inherent guy that gets lost in the sauce this week uh, of terms of like nebulous pricing because he's 5,900. Over there, you're probably going to see a lot of people go to uh, Ramondre Stevenson at 5,400, Chuba Hubbard at 5K, probably yeah. even Devin Singletary now at 4,300. Um, so Rashad White definitely, I think, would be the guy that would be the most appealing for me. Yeah, that is a that is a I want to put a caveat on that. He is most appealing does not mean that he is like one of the top 
on paper plays at the running back position. No, the, the receiving usage is good for his floor, as we saw over the previous two weeks. Uh, but he's still going to need. I mean, we look at even a seven for seventy game. He's still going to need to find the end zone, which is very difficult on a team that is not scoring points uh, to to return a solid GPP score at that price. So uh, a lot of that goes into. I mean. The upside, I think, from this spot is very clearly on the Houston Texans. I would be fine running a double in this spot with zero bring back from mm-hmm. the Buccaneers. Um, I would be fine targeting Nico Collins or Tank Dell as a one-off. And I would be fine running one of those guys with CJ Stroud as well. I don't think you need to double it. Um, any gotchas or, oh, by the ways, on this game environment? No, no. The CJ Stroud was the thought I thought was interesting. You know, he's definitely a guy in this slate because on the from a top-down perspective, too, I mean, you talk about this quarterback slate. We have two guys, Jalen Hurts and, and Lamar Jackson, that are kind of like the full-fled, like, lid poppers, right? Yeah. And if you've got all these backup quarterbacks. It's definitely a lot of pay-down options if you want. You, gotta have, you kind of have Dak in the middle, right? <laughs> and yeah so how do people approach attacking the slate is it does does it just the situation where more people just play lamar jackson again by de- default uh that he's like the one guy left especially if they're factoring jalen hurts injury and like you only need one guy to fail maybe and then the slate's just wide open so yeah so like that quarterback i think is like in your stacking cj shroud's one of these guys that stands out it's like this is where it could be one of these weeks where these this level of quarterback and like maybe you're going to get to mac jones if you're going to sell me on mac jones uh a gardner Minshew, a bryce young uh a a small stack like in that avenue is really kind of what wins this week yeah i think that's uh i think that's a good shout you mentioned a couple guys in this game environment the colts and the panthers this was one that immediately jumped out to me we have two very clear avenues of least resistance that align with how we expect the uh, offenses in this game to kind of approach this spot. The thing that jumps off the page to me is the fact that Jonathan Taylor is priced at only 6,400 right off the bat. I immediately went and ran some rushing yard ladders, uh, up to 110 yards. I think this is an, a spot where he can absolutely get going against a, an extreme run funnel defense for the Carolina Panthers, uh, outside of Adam Thielen. On the other side, you mentioned Chuba Hubbard earlier, um, who has seemingly usurped um, or taken over the backfield uh, to a certain extent um, over Miles Sanders. But anything else from some of these secondary players that could provide some upside for us this week? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jonathan Mingo would be the first guy that would jump out to me. So Carolina came out of the bye. They switched, you know, Frank Reich Mm -hmm. um, delegated the offensive coordinating duties now to Thomas Brown. And some of the changes they made, they were 100% 11 personnel team. They were a much more aggressive team on early downs. They threw the ball 59% of the time on early downs. Prior to the bye, it was 51%. They threw the ball outside the numbers at a higher rate than they had at any point this season. So some philosophical changes that Thomas Brown implemented were in play right away uh, in one week as a play caller. Also, when you talk about this matchup, Colts, they they play man coverage the, the least amount in the NFL, 10.6% of of passing plays is all they play man coverage on this entire season. Our guy Gus Bradley is going to sit in the cover three. He's got a young secondary protects those guys with his own coverage. Well, Adam Thielen is one of these guys that has really drastic <laughs> splits versus man and zone uh, yeah. against man coverage. He has 41% of the team targets. 
uh, 2.73 yards per out run against zone coverage only has 23.4% of the targets. That makes sense with a quarterback, right? Man coverage. What are you, what happens on man coverage, right? On a man coverage player blitz play, your first read is getting the ball. Who's the yeah. first read on the majority of the Carolina passing plays. It's Adam Thielen. But when he has to come off and make a second read, third read, Bryce young, where is it, the ball is not going to Adam Thielen as much. It's going to other players. So we have a player in Jonathan Mingo out of the bye, ran a route on a season high, 97.5% of team dropbacks. He's going against a zone coverage team where we could take maybe these Adam Thielen 12 targets and they get reduced to eight or nine targets. And the Jonathan Mingo five targets can turn to seven or eight targets, right? It just gives you some more opportunity. And then the matchup, he's also inherent leverage against the guy like Demario Douglas, who's going to be more popular. We could even see Van Jefferson sneak into the mix here, given his uh, splits with Taylor Heineke. It looks like Drake London's not going to play. But Jonathan Mingo's right in that price zone where he's direct leverage uh, against the player on his team who's going to be popular, against a player at his price point who's going to be popular, and he still has matchup advantage here. I dig it, man. What about the other side? Uh, any interest in Indianapolis pass catchers? Yeah, I mean, this is a good spot, I believe, for our both guys. Michael Pittman, too, is the one that stands out. Uh, Michael Pittman coming off of two really tough games and getting in the box both games uh, yeah. uh, against two heavier-the-man coverage team opponents and, and teams that also, in this era of the NFL, that doesn't happen a lot, use their top cornerbacks to, sh- to shadow wide receivers and yeah. move and travel. Because, you know, you, you, we talk about Sauce Gardner, great cornerback, right? Doesn't leave. Sauce Gardner does, plays one position the entire game. Doesn't leave. Yeah. Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore moved around with, with Michael Pittman. And, yeah, he had to fight for tooth and nail for what he got. I mean, he got there on a 75-yard touchdown against the Browns where he bounced off of a dude and ran for a touchdown. He only had 40 yards on his 13 targets last week against the Saints. But Michael Pittman in last year in this offense couldn't have survived in those elements, in those conditions. Yeah. And he's able to because we're getting so much top-down pass volume from this offense. Shane Sykin is a guy who gets it. Uh, yeah. you know, they're running a ton of plays and he's and they're getting a ton of volume. Now he's coming out of these two hard matchups against you know heavy man-based individual cornerback matchups that were tough against this Carolina team that is 27th in yards for target wide receivers, 25th in touchdown rate to, to wide receivers. The only thing that saves the Carolina Panthers is they've been an awful football team and no one has to throw against them in the second half of games. They face the second fewest pass attempts in the NFL, and that's what kind of helped help them. Uh, and that's why you see all these running backs just absolutely flood them on a weekly basis. But on yeah. a per-play basis, like you shouldn't be scared of the Carolina pass defense. What do you make of the – I mean, we're now at – Jonathan Taylor has been active for a full month. We had this, like – random time frame that was thrown out by the coaches in Indianapolis that said, Hey, yeah, we're going to bring him along slowly for the next month. They've done that. Now he got up to, he went from 15% snap rate, 42%, 50%, and then 61% in week eight. Is this a situation where now you see him move up into the 65 to 70% snap rate range um, and kind of continue to take more on in this rushing offense? Uh, well, Shane Steichen had some commentary about that too. I think yesterday he he was asked about, you know, is Zach Moss preventing Jonathan Taylor from getting 20 yeah. touches? And he basically said, yes. He basically was like, yeah, that's kind of what's happening. But I mean, explosives still are what we're talking about, you know, creating upside. It's not that Zach Moss isn't creating explosives either. He's second now in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey and explosive yeah. rushing yardage. We saw the start of it though with, you know, Jonathan Taylor, 82 yards in the first quarter. And then just yeah. kind of was never heard from again. 
Uh, and he still outsnapped Zach Moss over that stretch. I mean, he outsnapped him 18 to 10 in the second half of that game. They just couldn't get touches. Shane Sykin also said he regretted not getting Jonathan Taylor the ball more in the mm-hmm. second half. So there's a lot of like pulling forces here. The snap share was up there though. Like six, he, he outsnapped him, you know, 43 to 28. Uh, it's just that when Zach Moss is in the game, he's in like, uh, the mold of like, uh, think like Damian Harris, right. In like years past when Damian Harris would enter the game for the Patriots, it would be a play. Damian Harris is getting called for him. Whereas yeah. Jonathan Taylor now is on the field and the natural, uh, evolution of the offense. Like he's, he's in the offense. Uh, so yeah. that's kind of what's happening. So like, he just kind of got lost in the sauce. I think of game script in the second half, a little bit, not getting his like actual running plays called in the second half or his win. They wanted to do a running player when it was Zach Moss's turn in rotation. It was like, they were calling a play for Zach Moss, but Zach Moss wasn't on the field for, like I said, like the natural ebb and flow of the offense. There was also a point in the second quarter where Jonathan Taylor took a long carry and then, or a, a short carry, sorry. Uh, and appeared to get banged up. He, he talked about the that. field. Yeah, he, he came off the field. Um, and then Zach Moss handled the rest of that possession and all but one touch of the first possession in the second half. Um, so is that a spot where like, I don't know, man, it was just injury variants or. It could be, but he, they asked him and they asked him about that after the game, that particular play. And he said that he wasn't hurt. Like he was doing in the, in the snap share would dictate that he wasn't. Cause like yeah. I said, he saw out snapped him, but John Taylor said, no, I was just doing toe lifts. Like I was like, all right, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> as one does, <laughs> yeah, that's what he, that was his explanation for it. But he, he said he wasn't banged up. Like, yeah, well, who knows? So I want, we're already, we're already at 50 minutes. Time flies when we're having yeah. fun. Um, I want to quickly touch on this Washington commanders, new England Patriots game, because um, we had the two defensive ends um leave town in washington and they were really the kind of not even glue the like scotch tape that was holding this defense from being historically levels of bad we've seen them struggle um on the back end that has only continued now you remove like their ability to generate pressure for a defense that is already blitzing at a high rate if they're not hitting home against the new england patriots i think there's an opportunity here for the patriots to have Mac Jones finally like be able to sit in the pocket after he's been pressured relentlessly this season. Mario Douglas obviously is um, likely the biggest benefactor here. Um, we've seen his snap rate increase in subsequent weeks. And now with Kendrick Bourne, oh man, RIP for my best ball shares. Uh, mm-hmm. But Kendrick Bourne out with a torn ACL. Um, there's some upside here with Demario Douglas, particularly considering his kind of like athletic archetype. Um, the guy that can be scheme touches do some damage with the ball in his hands. Any other guys on this offense that you're going to be targeting other than Demario Douglas? No, not really. Cause it's just so nebulous. I mean, when Kendrick Bork got hurt, cause remember, uh, Demarius Douglas plays his snaps outside and, you know, yeah. so Kendrick Bourne is, you know, creating like this almost slot vacancy in this, in this roster. So like who gets those snaps? Jalen Ragor was running the the most routes yeah. after Kendrick Bourne. Like we're not playing Jalen Ragor. Like does it shuffle up too? Like, do they get Juju on the field more? Like it's tough to kind of say, like none of these guys are that appealing to do guesswork on anyways. I think you just look at the guy that's already been getting targets and you just kind of, you, you, you swallow it with Demario Douglas. Um, but yeah, that's really it. Yeah, what about the other side of the Washington Commanders? Um, if they are giving it up against New England, are they going to have to turn to the air rather frequently here? 
Yeah, we've seen you know Jahan Dotson come alive. Hopefully, it's just not an Eagles thing. In this, you know, hopefully yeah. Eric Bieniemy like because they've gotten real like the the last month they've gotten real aggressive. Like this is yeah. a team that's done the opposite of Bobby Slowick. What we talked about, they yeah. are just winging it on early downs. Like they have just settled in. Like we can't run the football really well. We're gonna just throw throw the ball around the yard, and that's fun. That makes that's like Sam Howell's game, right? Like yeah. And we also saw too like it. Uh, Sam Howell had his. Lowest rate to throw, lowest time to throw uh, this season. They also ha- incorporated the quick, the quick passing game. Uh, he uh, only fifty four percent of his throws were fewer than five yards downfield. That was his lowest rate in a game since week two. And guess what happened? He didn't get sacked. Yeah, right. One time, like oh, when you don't hold the ball and run everything downfield, like we saw Arthur Smith trying to do against the Titans last week. Oh, yeah. you don't get sacked. You don't take all those sacks. So if it'd be interesting to see if that's static and something that uh, stays up, but uh, there's upside here. Like Howell keeps getting there for fantasy. Like yeah. he, he's now what started seven games and he's been the QB 13 or higher on the given week. Five, five of those seven games or um, uh, all those games with two. Uh, so he keeps getting there. I was on Sam Howell last week, paired him with, uh, with old Terry McLaurin instead of Jahan Dotson. So, that's how my season's been going. Um, the one of the interesting, the other interesting pieces of this this game is Curtis Samuel's now missed back to back practices, mm-hmm. and we know that he is kind of that schemed usage short area guy. We've seen him have consistent usage. I mean, eight between four and eight targets uh, in all but one game this season. So does that for you open up more opportunity for a guy like Logan Thomas, who's the other kind of short to intermediate guy? Um, or is this a situation where you're taking a blind stab on a guy like Jameson Crowder, who actually had a nice game last week? He did uh, a nice game. Good for yeah. him. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Jameson Crowder, he's not going to find my player pool. You know, God bless him. I hope he does you know, get there again for, for the sake of his career. But uh, no, I mean, to me, it's just like playing the good players. I want to play John Dotson, if that's any of the case, right? Just gives more trickle down to him. Um, yeah. That's really though. I'm not. He's not. I looked, I already brought up Jonathan Mingo. I can't bring in Jameson Crowder to my player pool. Uh, Entertaining, <laughs> maybe potentially Van Jefferson. Like we're in the we're in the swallows. Yeah. To me, it's always interesting when we're talking about Eric Bieniemy um, because we know that he likes to utilize that like schemed usage type guy. We saw it last year when he was with the Chiefs with Michael Hardman. Michael Hardman got hurt, became Jerry Jarek McKinnon. Um, this year, hit that guy. His schemed usage guy is Curtis Samuel. And if Curtis Samuel is vacating that role, I think it is likeliest that the kind of shifty guy like Jamison Crowder is the guy stepping into that role. So I actually do, I think, have some interest. Um, He's priced uh, way down here uh, at 3,400. We talked about some leverage potential off of Demario Douglas earlier. I think Jamison Crowder is actually one of those potential leverages off of a guy like uh, Demario Douglas coming from the same game. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Competing. I, I think I'm willing to take that stab this week. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just worried about the game environment being similar to what it was last week. Yeah. True, 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 true. Um, do we have five minutes already? <laughs> we, we are running up against it. There were a couple of games that you mentioned Seattle, Baltimore. Um, and we talked briefly about Arizona, Cleveland, any of these games that you want to quickly touch on before we are forced out of here? Yeah, next year we might have to revamp the show, or we just do every game. Man, we could do a half hour in every game. This is like oh our, the nature of our the nature You're of our conversations. 
You're speaking uh, but, you're pulling at my heartstrings here, man. But on the way out the door last week, you know, I gave you George Kittle uh, on the way out. I want to give you another guy out the door here yes. too. That's that's maybe in the you know in that price zone, like hasn't been that popular. But man, dude, DK Metcalf is really seeing a ton of volume the past two weeks now that he's healthy. We saw him get his first full practice in like a month, and like he didn't get there last week again. Face that you know tough, stingy Denzel Ward was in his pocket a lot. Fourteen yeah. targets still though in that game against Denzel Ward. He now has 24%, 39% of the team targets. Uh, like if you're giving a guy like DK Metcalf this much volume, like eventually he's going to get there. And he's the archetype of wide receiver that the Ravens have had trouble with this season. I mean, you look at the Ravens, like these bigger framed vertical guys that can win outside in clashing situations are the guys that have gotten them. T Higgins, eight for 89 and two. George Pickens, six for 130 and one. Michael Pittman, nine for 77. Nico Collins, six for 80 and a touchdown. I mean, it, I feel like he's kind of lost this week where he's priced and like I think how people are going to play the slate. Uh, definitely am interested in DK Metcalf. Also, DK Metcalf this season, 37.5% targets per route run against man. We know the Ravens are in man at a top 10 rate. Uh, as you alluded to earlier, that that means a little bit less to us. Uh, considering the heavy zone utilization this season. But he is also, I mean, he's seeing 19.0 targets per route run against zone, so it's not like he's a complete negative um, against zone. But, man, 37.5% targets per route run against man is uh, is elite, my friends. Um, so that's a good shout. I like that a lot. Uh, as always, Rich, thank you for joining us. This was awesome. If you're new here, we do this every week, as I mentioned on the intro, every week at 12 p.m. Eastern, where we search for ceiling. Again, this was Searching for Ceiling. He's Rich. I am Hilo, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. There's some links in the description for some, some cheat code, some promo codes, if you are looking to up your analytics, your theoretics, and your conceptual knowledge of this beautiful game. So go check those out. And with that, we will see you next week in Week 10. One Week Season.